Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And good afternoon, everyone. Welcome welcome back to the series. This is Jim Mitchell. And while I remain a constant in our discussions, I'm pleased that we continue to introduce new voices to the series, each of whom brings new different experiences and perspectives on legal topics. And today my guest is one of those people. It's going to be attorney Jennifer Burke. Jennifer is an associate with Lavelle Law Limited. And our topic today, we're going to focus on what happens after a judgment is uh, given down in court, the post-judgment procedures, specifically how a creditor can collect what is due to them after a court hearing in their favor. Uh, So we're going to kind of wind our way through that conversation. It's a new topic for us along with the new guests, so I I look forward to it. Now, before we start to unravel that bit of complexity, let me start with the very easy part here by introducing Jennifer Burt. Jennifer, so glad to have you with us. I'm glad you're here for the first time today. So glad to be here, Jim. Thank you so much. Yeah. Now, before we get into the real details of it, let's just start with uh, kind of an introduction of what we'll be talking about today. In essence, are we focusing on the steps that that follow uh, some sort of a judgment in court where assets or money have been awarded to to a party? Yeah, yes. Uh, Oftentimes, immediately after a creditor obtains a judgment against an individual or or a business, uh, they go about collecting that judgment and a lot of people are affected by this. They uh, will go out and oftentimes freeze bank accounts or uh, send notices to your employer or bring you in for an examination. And those are the various things that might happen to you if a judgment is entered. And today we're going to talk about how to deal with those issues. Okay. And you you mentioned, actually, you kind of uh, foreshadowed my next question here. You mentioned individuals or businesses. So really, these could be cases between someone like a homeowner and a contractor or business versus business or, or really any combination thereof. That's right. It's, it's in any any way that a creditor can collect a debt, and that that debtor or creditor could be anybody, you know, a, a business on one side, mm-hmm. an individual on the other side, or, you know, and anybody who owes money to a, another person. Okay. Oh, and creditor and, de- creditor and debtor, were you just using basic terms here, someone who owes someone else money at that point? Correct. The creditor is owed the money and the debtor owes the money. Okay. All right. So we've got our, our general information here. Now, let's let's start about some of the specifics. You talked about the process there briefly. Um, and we've referred to, in, in uh, notes here, a citation to discover assets. And uh, is that where the actual collection process begins after the judgment? Most of the time, creditors will file a citation to discover assets. And there's essentially three different citations to discover assets. One would be directly to you as the debtor, where you would be required to bring in documents, you know, tax documents, uh, uh, mortgage documents, all of your pay stubs, your W-2s, anything that would lead to um, them discovering whatever assets you may have. And then another type of uh, citation to discover assets would be against a bank. So if you have money in a bank account, they can send a citation to discover assets to the bank, and the bank will then freeze two times the amount of the judgment up to whatever amount you have in your bank account. So if you have a $7,000 judgment, 
your bank account could be frozen for 14000 and the procedure then that the creditor would use would go in and file a motion for turnover order and ask the bank to send the money directly to the creditor, and the debtor wouldn't have anything to do with that. Um, and then the third option is uh, a simpler, it's a citation that's covered assets, but it's against an employer, and that also cuts the debtor out, where the employer has to send uh, you know, a certain percentage of your wages every two weeks to the creditor, so that you know, it's it's a way to, uh, to to get money if a debtor isn't cooperating, they'll have to go through the employer or a bank, a third party. Okay. Now you, we're going to get into each of those a little bit. I want to talk about them. I've got a few questions mm-hmm. for you, but I guess first of all, to say maybe I'm a little naive here. Is this uh, a standard process? And by that I mean, if a judgment is handed down and and the ruling is okay, uh, person A, you you owe person B seven thousand dollars. I just assume that you know. Within a matter of days, there's a letter exchange. Someone hands someone a check for $7,000. Is, is this process always followed, or is, are we talking about cases in which the debtor is somehow then not immediately returning and, and providing what they're asked to provide? Well, um, many times people do not voluntarily comply. Um, okay. You know, they in a, in a lawsuit, you're served with the summons, but oftentimes people don't come in and actually go to court on the date of the summons, so a default judgment is entered. That's one avenue of getting a judgment. And oftentimes, a lot of these default judgments are the ones that end up going into these collections and don't end up don't end up, end up settling. So it's it's just an avenue for creditors to be able to obtain the funds when they're not getting any compliance from the debtor. Okay, and you mentioned a variety of documents that might. Yeah. Okay. Right, fair enough. And, and and when you talk about the uh, the citation and and asking for the debtor to provide some financial records, would the citation call those out specifically and say we need your tax records for the last three years, your receivables, wherever it might be, or uh, does it ask you know for specific items, or is it just a general request that the attorneys then have to kind of work mm-hmm. their way through? Typically, uh, the smart creditor will include the exact items that they are looking for because, you know, the person who's receiving it isn't going to know what to bring. So typically, there'll be an exhibit, A, that is created by the creditor's attorney that'll ask for documents like tax returns, bank statements, pay stubs, W-2s, mortgage documents, deeds, trusts, and then they'll kind of have a catch-all provision at the end saying, and anything else that might lead to discovery of your assets. Okay, and I, I I don't want to get off track here, but I can imagine when we talked about the different circumstances, uh, this could really get quite complex if the debtor is perhaps a partnership or a corporation of some sort, then it really might be leading down a, a complicated trail at that point, I would assume. Well, when there's a, all you have to do if there's a corporation on the other side or a partnership or whatever entity it may be, is you have to then serve one officer, and any one officer should have to, provide you all the documents that that particular business has. Okay. Okay. Well, we're getting some good information from attorney Jennifer Burt today. Jennifer is with LaBelle Law. Um, joining us for the first time and certainly sharing a great deal of information. If you are interested, you can listen to uh, podcasts on a wide range of other legal topics by scouring through the archives here on Blog Talk Radio under LaBelle Law. Uh, you can also check iTunes or LaBelleLaw.com where uh, all of the past conversations are held as well. And a uh, special notice to uh, Jennifer and all of her colleagues for their efforts on the podcast, which were noted this week in a nice article by business writer Jim Kendall, 
that can be found in the June 17th edition of the Daily Herald and uh, acknowledging the effort that uh, the firm puts in to put these together. So as we turn our attention back to today's topic, um, Jennifer, do you, you mentioned earlier that um, you know people don't always show up for their appointed court dates and might not be uh, active participants when they are the de- debtor. Um, if there's a, an issuance of a citation and they ignore that or don't show up, what starts to happen after that point? Well, what happens is, is if you disobey a court order, uh, a citation to discover assets is issued by the court and then mm-hmm. set for hearing. And if you are receive service of that citation, you're expected to attend a court appearance because you've been essentially summoned to come into court on that hearing. Oftentimes, people will not attend. What will then happen is the creditor will appear and provide the affidavit of service indicating that you were, in fact, served. You have to be served um, or at least subservice uh, on somebody in your household of the age of 13 or over. Um, uh, then the uh, court will issue what's called a, or the, if, the cre- if the court agrees with the creditor, the court will issue what's called a rule to show cause as to why you should not be held in contempt of court. And that is for your failure to obey by the citation to discover assets. And they'll give you one more opportunity to come in on the rule. And if you come in on the rule, then typically it'll convert back to a citation and then you're just going along trying to find the information, the discoverable assets. Um, and then if, if the person does not appear at the rule to show cause, the next step is a body attachment or a body writ. They call it a variety of different things. But what it is is a, a sheriff of that county coming out and picking you up and bringing you down to the courthouse. It uh, can be a three, four, five-hour experience, depending on how far you are away. And they do bring you in, and they do uh, kind of shake you up a little bit, saying, you know, you gotta, you got to come into court. You can't disobey court order. So, you know, as a, as a debtor, you never want to be in that position. You don't want to get picked up by the sheriff and brought down to court. <laughs> Yeah, that does sound uh, rather extreme and frightening if you're on the wrong end of that. Um, now, right, I want right. to go back to they a couple things that you... They can't hold you overnight. Let me be very clear. Um, okay. you know, we don't have a debtor's prison here in, in, in Illinois or in this country, really. Um, but so you would be brought right They can't the hold you for very long, and, and if you don't have money, they can't keep you. It's, it's not like that. It's just you disobeyed a court order, so they bring you into court, and then that creditor's attorney is contacted. They show up maybe to get a few information, a little bit of information from you. Namely, they'd probably want to get your banking information, and they'd also want to get your employer's information because if you're the person who hasn't showed up, then they might want to go about it in the avenues, you know, that they know that they'll be get compliance from a bank or an employer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about those uh, instances here, if we can, with the few minutes we have left. First of all, you, you mentioned... Uh, potentially payments being made directly through wage deductions. I, I'm, I'm familiar with the term garnishments. I don't know from a legal perspective if that's the same thing. But basically a court can, can go to the employer of someone then who's who's uh, a debtor and, and ask or require then that uh, in their weekly or biweekly paycheck that funds are directed out of that paycheck and, and to the creditor. Is that right? Exactly. So the check will go... So what happens is, is uh, the thing, it's, it's, the garnishment's the same thing. Garnishment, wage okay. deduction, it's, a, it's the same thing. Um, you send a, oftentimes people will use a garnishment, sometimes people will use the citation to discover assets, wages, but in effect, they, you know, they're generally the same. There are some nuances, but um, both, are, both are designed to be sent to an employer, and then the employer will respond back within the prescribed period of time. Usually it's about 30 days. 
that will respond back and say how much money the debtor makes every paycheck. And then they'll do, there's a calculation. It's like you can't, you know, you, you can't take over a certain amount. I'm not exactly sure what the certain amount is. And then there's like a $4,000 exemption amount, um, meaning you couldn't take like the personal effects of someone up to about $4,000. But um, uh, then the, uh, the, the uh, employer will respond, and then the creditor will go into the court and bring that answer to the court and say, hey, this guy makes, you know, uh, $5,000 every month um, or, you know, let's say $2,500 every two weeks, um, then they would get a certain percentage of that, and it's calculated out by your employer on the answer. And then the court will award the creditor in most circumstances unless somebody shows up and says, oh, this, this certain amount is exempt. Um, the court will award that creditor every two weeks the employer to send directly the funds to the creditor so that you're taking the middleman, the debtor, out completely. And, and a lot of people don't just, like that. A lot of people don't want something like this to go to their their employer. Oh, absolutely, sure. That that's uh, certainly in, indicative there of, of uh, a situation that um, they may, may certainly want to avoid. Now we've got just a little bit of time left here. I understand from what you said too that that banks have some responsibility here, and that uh, uh, right. they may be summoned in this, and they've got to you know they've got to manage assets accordingly. Right. So a bank uh, has to freeze up to two times the amount of your judgment once it's served with the citation. And what people don't realize either is that once that, that bank is served, your bank account is frozen until the bank uh, until the motion for turnover order is filed by the creditor, most oftentimes on the return date. But that could be, you know, another two weeks, um, three weeks. It just depends. And uh, then you'll go in on a hearing on that and request that the bank actually sends you whatever funds is in its possession. And then finally the citation will be dismissed and then the creditor or the debtor can then use their bank account again. Well, um, we've certainly uh, used up our time here in, in you know, very good fashion. Jennifer's provided a great deal of information. I think the summary here is that even if you are a creditor, if you receive a judgment of some sort in court, um, the services of an attorney and uh, some patience may be required because uh, just uh, receiving that judgment from the court may only be the beginning of the process. So uh, very uh, eye-opening experience for us today as we as we have the conversation. Uh, as I mentioned, Jennifer's first appearance here, but um, she has been with Lavelle Law for several months, established her practice there. Find out more about her. You can find information at lavellelaw.com, including her background and some recent articles and I certainly look forward to having her join us for future conversations and always look forward to having you join us as we discuss new topics each week. Thanks for being here. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. 